Hey, Gigi, you've got two sets of glasses on. Oh, these are my readers. (laughs) Brother Benjamin's back. Yay. Benji's back. All right. So I was going to ask, what jurisdiction again did you practice law in? That's right. You're a lawyer too. I'm in recovery. Right. Being a lawyer is like being an alcoholic. You're never really done with it, but sometimes you stop using. Hi, I'm Brother Ben and I'm a lawyer. (laughs) I've been sober five years. 14, but yeah, my last legal job was with U.S. Customs in Long Beach. What is that like? Slow death. Oh dear. It was just really boring. Where'd you go to law school? Tulane in New Orleans. Oh my God. And you grew up in Salt Lake or in Utah? Uh That's quite a change, isn't it? Going from Utah to New Orleans. That was very deliberate. (laughs) That was, I need to get the hell out of here and I need to go someplace that's very different than where I live. I love it. You've pushed yourself out. I was going to just move in with my husband, but my dad was like, no daughter of mine is shacking up with a man. And I was like, dad, I'm 20. He's 21. Like, we just want to move in together. So, you know, so that we can just like have sex in private. Like, like (laughs) normal people. (laughs) Dad, we're already having sex. And we were like going to junior college. We were from a very small town called (laughs) Ramona. And my dad was like, no, you're going to get married. And I was like, dad, I can't afford a wedding. Where are we going to have it? He said, we'll have it here on the property. And I said, well, who's going to pay for the food? He's like, I know a guy that owes me money. Because my dad was like this small town Uh attorney. Was your dad part of the mob? I, he once had the mob shoot at him, but that is a different story. <laughs> oh he would trade legal services for things like livestock, like pigs, chickens, like seriously. So like he, he didn't always get paid. He got paid with what people paid him with. This is going to turn into a pineapple story, isn't it, JJ? A wheelbarrow. <laughs> It's like, Dad, this marriage is a joke. Like, we would just end up getting a divorce because nobody stays married who gets married this young. And he says, if it's just a piece of paper, you can just as easily get married. I said, we can just as easily get divorced. And I said, we're not going to have kids. We just don't have anything but debt. So, like, whatever. Who cares? And I kept thinking, like, I don't have a dress. He's like, you can borrow your sister's. Who's going to do the flowers? The other sister can do it. Who's going to do the cake? Like, an aunt or somebody for everything. And I finally ran out of things to, like, excuse myself for. And so I called Brad up and I was like, hey, dad doesn't want us moving in together. He wants us to get married. How does June 21st sound? And my husband said, okay, where are we having it? And I said, you're on the property. He's like, all right, see you there. So romantic. My whole wedding cost me 600 and some odd dollars because I was 20 and he was 21 and he lurked at a liquor store. We were going to school. But here's the thing. The day before the wedding, my dad came to me. We were having the rehearsal and he said, Gigi, you've got two choices. You can either go down the aisle with me and all of your uncles sitting in the front row with shotguns in our laps, wearing overalls and everything. Uh Or you can go down the aisle in a wheelbarrow. I do not want to go down the aisle with a shotgun wedding because because I'm only 20 years old and I don't want people thinking that I'm pregnant. Uh, I said, okay, fine. So the next day he had a wheelbarrow with like a white blanket and he stuck me in it. And as he was wheeling me down, Brad was the only one looking down the aisle and you just hear him like gasp and go, oh my God. And then he puts his hand up over his face. And then all the pictures are of his mom like doing this. Like they just couldn't <laughs> believe it. And so my dad like basically just dumped me out and I landed on my feet. The guy says, who gives this woman away? And my dad 
dad said, her mother and I give her away. Her grandmother, whom she inherited her large nose from, gives her away. Her, uh, her uncles, her aunts, her cousins give her away. Her brothers and sisters give her away. We all give her away. And he just pushed me towards my husband. And the wedding was so quick. You know, you can't have a temple wedding. I'm like, yeah, I don't want that shit. I don't need the weird costume. My bra was beautiful, everything. I didn't have to wear garments. <laughs> I mean, I went down the aisle in a wheelbarrow, but I can tell you that everything underneath that dress was like, beautiful. It seriously was like, do you? And then Brad said, yes. And then I said, yes. And he's like, you can kiss each other. And he's like, you're married. Oh, that's nice. Like until you die. And I was like, oh. sounds good to me. Let's eat. <laughs> yeah. And we've been married for 25 years. Was your dad a lawyer as well? Mine was. What about you, Benjamin? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I have no family history of lawyerism. Okay. <laughs> Lawyerism. But did you have a history of Mormon missionaries? I had OG pioneer stock Mormons on both sides of my family. Did you? Anyone we know? No, none of the really famous ones. I had some polygamists back there, but I don't like the big names. Uh, How many kids were in your family? Four younger brothers. So did you baptize anybody? And so where did you end up going? So I went to Holland. Okay. The Netherlands. And a couple random refugees. The only people who wanted anything to do with us were people who were in transitional places in their lives. That makes sense. People who are pretty happy with where they are are like, no, I'm just going to keep the coffee and the Heineken. Thank you. No kidding. No kidding. <laughs> and the prostitutes and the marijuana. <laughs> Right. No beer. Very, very limited sex allowed. In the States, you say you're Mormon and a lot of places at least know what that means. I think in a place like Western Europe or whatever, they'd be like, aren't you the people who just ride around in hand carts? They know that's the Amish. Staking us for the Amish. Oh. Good guess. I think there were three stakes across the country, maybe wow, 15,000 members. Right? Yeah, that's not going to be very big. You know, in a country of, I don't know, 15 or 20 million. Yeah, and I'm wondering how many of that is active after baptism. Not a ton. Yeah. Although they only get one or two a year at most, so they have plenty of time to concentrate on them. What years were you there? Was the internet invented yet? 90 to 92. It was pre-internet. Most people didn't even give us crap about being Mormon because they thought we were Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> there were a lot more of them and they were more active than we were. So oh. if we were getting like called out in the street, it would be for a religion we didn't even belong to, which offended me a little bit. I was like, we're not pacifists, dude. Do you want to throw down? That's okay. Ooh. What's your weirdest food-related missionary story? Super random shit in sausages. You didn't end up like going to somebody's house and have something really strange out of the freezer? The only meal I ever had that even like really confused me was they do this thing there that they call bread meal, which is basically just bring out like a bunch of rolls, cheese, and like jellies and jams and stuff. And I was just sitting there and I'm eating it and I'm like, I don't want to fill up because I'm like, they're going to bring real food at some point. Nope, That's that was the, the whole meal. meal. Oh, I love <laughs> it. I love it. I am going there now. Now that I know that they have a thing called bread meal. Yes, please. I didn't know there was a name for what I do all day long. Bread meal. I always have like some bread and some cheese out. That doesn't surprise me. Like I'm ready for a tea party at any moment. Bread mm. meal. Bread meal. And they had a lot of Indonesian food because Indonesia used to be a Dutch colony. So there were tons of Indonesian restaurants. And I really got to like Indonesian food a lot better than I liked Dutch food. Were you there during the springtime when all the tulips are blooming and things? Yeah. 
That's a beautiful country. Uh, Really lovely people. No use for what we were trying to sell them, but lovely people. Well, see, that's why they're so happy. Did you see that, like, on the happiness rankings lately? Like, that is, like, the area to be. Yeah, it's true. I want to know about the sexual hijinks that the missionaries got up to, because I know they were out there banging prostitutes. They had to have been. No, 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 no. Some of them were going out at night, surely. These horny young guys, they must have been. Wow, I couldn't imagine. The thing about that is that you're always in at least pairs. And often you were sharing an apartment with other people too. If you went out by yourself, someone would immediately call the boss and say, you know, Elder Ben is AWOL. There was one guy who was like famous and I never met him. He was slightly before my time. Like he was not having a good time. And he'd asked several times for them to just let him go home. And, you know, he's a free person, but he would have had to buy his own ticket. He wanted them to pay for the ticket because he couldn't afford to fly himself back. So he just left one day and he went to the red light district and he did his thing. And then he was like, okay, now you got to send me home. And they did. Apparently, that's less expensive than an airline ticket. That's smart, isn't it? Very smart way to go, because at least you get a good time before you leave. I respected his uh, commitment. This guy lives in legend in my mind. (laughs) We're going to call him Elder Red Light. Did anybody else ever pull like an Elder Red Light district? No, I think this is generally true of people who go to like Western Europe or other countries where they're just not that into it. Most of us spend a lot of our time just kind of hang out. You know, we'd sit around, we'd play board games, we'd play card games, we'd bike and go get frites from the frite shop. You didn't have any missionary companions that were like super like, let's go knock on doors, like hurry, 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 we got to baptize some people. And you didn't have any people above you that would like presidents, what do they call them? Like There was assistance to the president, APs, and there were zone leaders and like they would come by every once in a while. And there were a few like super diehards who would go out and they do the 10 hour day outside that's expected of you. Oh, fuck that shit. But they weren't baptizing anybody either. (laughs) So what's the point? They were just annoying more of the citizenry. So maybe after a while, like the enthusiasm wears off and then they're just like, okay, let's just play some board games. That was true even of quite a few of the leaders at one point. It's just like there was was no rational relationship between like the amount of work you put in and the results you got. And we had to make these reports that you would mail in every week. Or maybe we called them in. they phoning it in, so to speak? We used to have what we called the magic pen. Oh. It could invent proselyting hours that never happened. <gasps> and it could invent contacts you never met. Oh. And so we would send those reports off. Like, I'm sure that those <laughs> got sent to Salt Lake City. And, okay. you know, and, and some report goes to like the higher up in Germany who sends it to Salt Lake. And it's all invented numbers. We counted how many people who let us in, which was never very many. When did you lose your faith, as it were? That was all pre-real internet. Like I was aware of some of the things, like some of the really baseline things that people would say about why it was all crap. But that all came from what I viewed, I think correctly, as like virulently anti-Mormon sources. So there were people I didn't really find trustworthy. It was really easy for me to just dismiss them. And the stories I was told in seminary, you know, nobody told me about the hat and the rocks. Right. That was not a story that I heard until much, much later. Right. Stereotype that a lot of active Mormons have about people who aren't is that they left because they didn't want to keep the commandments or they couldn't. Oh, yeah, I wanted to just have sex. Well, so 
That was kind of true for me. I love it. I don't really have like a spot I can point to and say I stopped. Okay. Other than when okay. I told them to shove my membership, which was only about seven or eight years ago. Ever since I was a little kid, I hated being Mormon, but I believed it. Oh. But I didn't like it. Right. Yeah. Jones talks a lot about that thing about how, like, you'll be judged on what you know, right? Right. And I used to envy people who were Mormon because they didn't know what I knew. That's right. And they wouldn't be judged for it. So they could go off and they could do the things they wanted. Exactly. And I was going to get judged for it and they weren't. Right. You know, when I was a teenager, I didn't go a lot. My parents, family, they're all still very Mormon, but they didn't give me, like, a huge hard time. They were just like, let him work through it. <laughs> so I... Turned 18, all my friends are going on missions. So I'm like, all right, I'll quit masturbating for a while and, and I'll go. And allow that frustration. To build and build and build, yes. I bet you just said you stopped, right? They give you all kinds of advice, I hear. No, no, I did. I'm not saying I made it two years. Okay. But I made it six months. That is fucking amazing. For a man. It's not amazing for a woman. <laughs> I mean, I just feel sad. No, so do I now. All that time he could have been having a lovely time. And without feeling guilty about it. Yes. But how did you go from not really believing very much to going on a goddamn mission? I didn't not believe. I believed. I didn't like. You just didn't want it to put in the effort. Well, no, I just didn't want to do it. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass. You know, in my head, I'm like, I know the thing says I'm supposed to marry one person and then only have sex with them for the rest of my life. But there was part of me like, that's not what I want. I don't want to get married when I'm 22 and have a bunch of kids. No offense. Well, I just thought that's just what I had to do. So I went to a place where, frankly, minimal effort was the norm. Although I felt really guilty about that and got super depressed several times. Came back. I moved to Provo. I was not going to BYU, but I was living with some people who are going to BYU. Like the whole social life there revolves around your singles ward. I had a lot of fun. Like the people were fun. I love my friends. There was a good social community. I managed to dodge getting married when I was 22 or 23. Nice. And then I got to be older. I moved away from Provo. As soon as I wasn't like in that environment, I stopped going to church. Not again because I didn't believe, just because I didn't want to. I got better shit to do on Sundays than that. And then I started meeting some other people. I made a new group of friends at, at a job that I was working. When I moved to Salt Lake, none of them were Mormon, mostly ex-Mormons. There's going to be a lot of people like that in Salt Lake, I can imagine. I started going to clubs and <laughs> I was introduced to alcohol by a very lovely friend of mine who always offered me her drinks until I finally said yes. Oh, okay. How old were you when you had your first drink? 25. And then finished up at the U. I took way longer to graduate than most people do. Then I went to New Orleans for law school. It was exactly what I was looking for. It's very diverse where where I came from is not diverse at all. So moving there was intentional to get away from Mormonism. It was very much intentional. And there wasn't like a moment where I said, I guess I'm not Mormon anymore. It was just like I started having the life that I had always wanted to have and finding that contrary to what I had been told, I was happy. It's like a social experiment that you fell into that disproved everything you'd been taught. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then I started having these like epiphanies. Like I remember really vividly, just for no obvious reason, like nothing triggered it that I could tell. Just it occurred to me like, oh, the flood story was made up. And I'm just like, of course it was. When you get that distance and you can kind of look back at the story and just start thinking about it from an outsider's perspective, start explaining it. And you're like, that shit doesn't make sense. I know. Why? 
That sounds bonkers now that I'm saying it out loud. Yeah. So eventually I just got out from under the influence. And once I was out from under the influence, right, it became really easy to recognize the cognitive dissonance that I had going on for years. The last time I went to a church for anything but a wedding or a funeral was when I was 25. But you remember when the cases were going up to the Supreme Court for the marriage equality thing for gay marriage. And the Mormon church filed this brief. I just said, no, you do not get to put my name on that shit. That is exactly what got me out. Yeah. So many people say that too. So did you write the letter right around that time or what did you have to do? Did you get it notarized? No, this was before the notarization thing. So I just sent it in. I think a day later, like I'm in Salt Lake. It doesn't take a long time to make it. I get a letter back with like this pamphlet that they send to everybody, I think. And this letter saying this is a local ecclesiastical matter. We've referred it to your bishop. Coincidentally, I was going out of town for like a week and a half with my family for a vacation. And so I get back. I pick up my mail. I find a letter that was sent like a day after the first one that says you're out. Oh, nice. Oh. You got lucky. Now, did your family or anybody give you a hard time for being kind of like no longer Mormon? I didn't go and tell them that had my records removed. They knew I wasn't going to church and they knew I hadn't for decades. It wasn't really anything different to them. And my family's always been cool. Like nobody ostracizes me or my kids or my never Mormon wife. That's oh, good. Okay. We're still part of the family. So That's wonderful. Yeah, my family, we ostracize each other for other reasons. <laughs> Independent, uh, sufficient reasons, yes. <laughs> all the time. There's five girls. All of us drama, drama, drama. We're always fighting for no, you know, whatever. I had to recently stop talking to my sister, Wendy, because she accused me of having PMS. What? <laughs> I wish I was, but I won't admit. Because <laughs> I was being bitchy with her because she's born again Christian. She's one of those kind of Christians. Yes, yeah, so we have everything in the family. So like our politics are like... As far apart as Florida and California, I gotcha. And we're going on a cruise in November. Uh, will you be able to podcast from there? Because I think the stories would be amazing. I don't think the boat is going to stay afloat. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to hearing the stories after that. Oh, yeah, they're never good. Um, Ben, did you actually get to choose going to the Netherlands? No, it's totally chosen for you. Oh, okay. Must have misunderstood that. There's an interview and you answer some questions. I think you get a medical exam. You send off this letter to the church headquarters and they do something different now. But a couple of weeks later, you get a letter in the mail saying you've been called to XYZ mission. You'll report to the missionary training center on this date. Did you speak any Dutch before that? Oh, no. And when you were in the Netherlands, what sort of evangelism activities did your group partake in? We played it well. We played a lot of risk, a lot of hearts. <laughs> when you could get away from the board games, when you actually had to do some real work in quotes. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. The basic categories were tracting, which was literally just knocking on doors. The name comes from the tracks that used to hand out when you were doing that, like little pamphlets or whatever. Yeah, that's what's confusing about that because it's a pamphlet, but really in Mormon speak, it means going and knocking on doors, right? Right. And we would go street contacting, which is literally like you'd set up a board in like a square somewhere and just be like pester people on the streets. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses at the malls here in America. Or the Hare Krishnas at the airport 
word. Okay. I don't see the Mormons at the malls. I don't see the Mormons outside of grocery stores. I see them on bicycles going house to house. I think a lot of that's because a lot of the malls and stuff got smart and they made sure it was all private property and they made sure they passed rules against that shit. This is, you're talking property law here. That's exactly right. Every once in a while, we would get stopped in the supermarket or other retail stores because we had our little badges on. People thought we worked there. <laughs> and so I, I had one companion who wanted to go to the, to the mall and pretend to work there so people would talk to us. Oh, I like that companion. That's funny. No, I didn't like him. <laughs> he was a pain in the ass. So he was a bit diehard, wasn't he? He really <laughs> wanted to save people. He was just new. And like when the new ones come out, some of them at least have all this fire and they're like, we're going to change everything. I'm like, just because you just got off the farm in Rigby, Idaho, and you know five words of Dutch does not mean that the whole world is going to convert at your command. So it was that kind of thing. He was not taking the rejection well. He didn't take the rejection well. And how did he end up dealing with that? I don't know. Once I was done with him, I never talked to him again because he was a pain in my ass. Ah, yes. So when you managed to convert someone, you know, on those very few times that you did, and they weren't Dutch nationals, were they? They were refugees, (laughs) whatever. There were three people that I taught at some point who eventually became baptized. Two of them were African and one was a Dutch citizen from Curacao. Curacao, where's that? It's a Caribbean island that used to be a a Dutch colony. Oh, okay. Interesting. They converted. I'm assuming they got baptized. I'm guessing that you guys got kudos for it. Oh, yeah. They don't give you like an award or anything, but... They just give you that unconscious pat on the back, don't they? Yeah. But did you actually get to dunk anybody? One of them, yeah. (laughs) I almost banged his head on the step. I didn't notice that myself, but... I was so like in my head, like they have to be completely under, like no hair, no clothes, everything. And I was like, he's going down. (laughs) Wow. And I I didn't bump his head, but I got real close. He was a really nice guy. No idea what happened to him. I'm sure that he had no idea what he was getting into. Because like the really esoteric, often right field Mormon doctrine is not what we're telling the newbies. When I was about 13 or 14, I walked to the library and I found a book that told me about these things. And I saw the pictures of what the underwear looked like. It's like, I am not wearing that. And I read about the secret handshake and the whole slitting your wrist and disemboweling yourself. And I was like, no. And they had stopped doing that part of it before I went there. Oh, they've stopped doing that. Wow. So the book that I was reading must have been from the 80s or earlier because this was in 1989 or 1990 because I had just moved to this area where I remember walking two miles to the library because we did not have like cable TV. That's how I learned things. (laughs) I think it was like 88 or 89 when it changed. And I suspect your book was a bit older than that. Yeah, because this is like a small town library. (laughs) It was just so different than anything I'd ever done. And it did freak me out. Did you come out stronger in your faith or less strong in your faith after the mission? I don't know that it changed a lot, except that I do think that being there planted some seeds of cognitive dissonance that bore fruit later. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I was in this country that there were lots of people doing all the things that I wanted to do and they were happy. Right. And that just was not what I had been told would happen. 
that sort of worked on my brain. Yeah, like they had other things to do on Sunday. Thank you very much. And other people to do as well. They lived together and drank Heineken's and had sex with more than one person in their entire life. Sometimes even at the same time. Great. Like you just weren't supposed to be able to do that stuff and be happy. And they were. So a lot of the time that I was there, and I felt guilty about this, of course, and I tried to rationalize it to myself. But again, with this idea that like the more you know, the more trouble you can get in. I was like, am I even doing these people a favor? Right. Because if you tell them, then they're responsible. You know, if I just say, hey, you should be Mormon, like my understanding of like the way the theology works is like, that's not going to doom them to hell. Right. But if they start listening to me? They get baptized, but then they realize they can't sustain that lifestyle for whatever reason. And now they have to reject it. And now they're doomed to outer darkness. I've made them much worse off than they would have been. I'm not just going to the celestial kingdom now. I am going to outer darkness. And that troubled me greatly to some extent. Because even though I had rejected so much of the dogma, part of me was like, cognitive dissonance, like, I don't want to go to hell. And I'm going to the worst part of it now. That's an anxiety trigger that they plant really young. At certain times when you're on a mission, you miss a lot because you don't get to watch TV. There's a gap in your education. So while I was there, a 90 to 92, is that when the first Gulf War was? When that happened, there was and is a big population of like immigrants from Turkey and Morocco. I would imagine. Not terribly well integrated with the rest of society, at least they were then. So they were in these sort of enclaves. But when that was going on, there was this concern that like we would be targeted because we were very American and we were taking our badges off and there were certain neighbors we weren't supposed to go in. Fortunately, you don't have to wear a badge when you play Risk at home. So it wasn't as big a deal as it might have been. And the LA riots happened while I was gone. Oh, wow. There were people that we would see on the streets like, they're burning down LA or whatever. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We didn't have TV. We weren't supposed to have radio, although I had a radio. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have computers. We didn't have internet. You got mail, like written. Like once a month or twice a month, I would go to the newsstand and pick up like a Newsweek or something. I remember when my older sister was going on hers. This was like maybe 95, 96 or something. She went to like Pennsylvania. She would just go hang out with other people in different churches. While she was on her mission, she visited other churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did that too. It was not discouraged. A couple of times we just did it to do it. Yeah, see what people were doing. I really wanted to go see Mass just for the experience. But there were a couple of times we did swaps with people we were talking to. Uh. We talked to this guy who was a deacon in the Catholic Church, and he's like, I'll come to yours if you go to mine. Oh, how neat. Yeah. And we got invited to tour a mosque once. We met some Muslim guys. Wow. We talked to their imam and stuff, and that was pretty cool. There was this idea sort of underlying Mormonism and Christianity in general and most religions, really, like that the world would be better if everybody followed that religion. Yep. But, you know, meeting people who followed these other religions, I had a really hard time convincing myself that was true. Yeah. One of the few times I actually went out knocking on doors, which I did once in a while put the game away we knocked on the store and it was these indian people and they said they're hindu and i was like oh cool and i'm like wait i'm not supposed to think that's cool <laughs> i'm supposed to want to convert them but i thought it was cool like i'd never met yeah. a new person before how many years passed then after you were done with the mission before you were out like your papers were done i got back in 92 by 95 i was not going anymore i don't know that there's any one point in time where i would say i was 
done. By the time I got to New Orleans, which would have been in 99, I was done. Between the first time I ever had a conversation with a person who was Black was when I was 17, and it was at a debate meet. And then it didn't happen again until I was in Holland. And then it didn't happen again until I went to law school. Not because I was unwilling, but because they weren't there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's all these people. And Tulane was founded by a Jewish guy. There's a lot of Jewish people there from like the Northeast. And I was just like, this is much more my people than the people I left behind. I loved like just all of that new culture and that new experience and people who had different lives than I had and different backgrounds that I had. When you're on your mission, you only get that peripherally because you spend all your time with other missionaries, most of whom are from where you are, and you spend time with members, but you don't spend a lot of time with just like regular non-Mormon folk. Which is a shame because it would be neat if they could use the entire idea of the mission as you're going to go out there and never talk about God. You're just going to go mow those lawns. If it was purely like service-based. And help the old people and do nothing but service in your community. That would be a big deal. And never talk about God. Maybe that'll be Mormonism in 50 years' time, hey? There's some movement into that direction. Yeah. Isn't that what like, the Peace Corps is? Yeah, you should have joined the Peace Corps. You would have had a much better time. You could have fucked your friends too. <laughs> I could have fucked my friends, that's true. And I did miss out on that. Did you ever teach English while you were on your mission, like some people do? The Dutch people speak almost to a person, impeccable English. It was actually really hard work sometimes to get them to speak Dutch to me. Uh, right. Because I really wanted to learn to speak the language and that you can't learn yeah. it if people don't want to speak it to you. We Americans, we suffer from the education that we pay for, which is bad education. And I did not learn a second language, like, at all. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, That's okay, Gigi. You speak Gigi. <laughs> my husband was listening to the last episode or so. He's like, she thinks she's got ADD. And I'm like, I, well. I'm pretty sure you do. He thinks I do too. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. Yeah, I'm not medicated. It depends what you're doing. If you're trying to make yourself do stuff that ADHD is not good for, then you're going to have problems. But if you're not trying to do that, you're okay. Yeah, that was a problem when I was a lawyer and I was supposed to be billing every point six. What is it? I was never a lawyer had to bill. Oh, I had to bill. Because I only ever worked for governments. Yuck, I had to bill all the time. You have to track what you're doing every six minutes because six minutes is a tenth of an hour. I do my bills in decimals as well. Oh, isn't that horrible? See, that's no way to live. You need to stop. I was like under my desk crying one day going, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I know more than a few lawyers who had things like that happen oh, to Oh, God, yeah. Now she does art and makes the weirdest TikTok videos ever. They're not really meant for anybody to watch other than like my mother-in-law. <laughs> I left a comment on one of your videos the other day. I don't know if you saw it. I think I saw that. But see, I try not to like attract attention. <laughs> Although I gave you my... JJ. Yeah, it doesn't work now. You see, now I don't want to put work into them. Mm. You don't have to put work. You just do you, Gigi. I appreciate what you're doing, okay? I know that they just are what they are. That's okay. You'll find your audience. Oh. It's all good. You mentioned about newspapers. Is that something you're not supposed to do as a missionary, read newspapers? The official rules were you weren't supposed to consume any media that wasn't on this very short list, which was basically your scriptures 
and like five other books, maybe six. Right. And how often do people break that rule? Is it sort of one of those unsaid things that you're allowed to? I'm sure it varies place to place, but where I was, it was not a rule that anybody followed. So how often would you read the paper? I would get Newsweek every two or three weeks. And I was so hungry for things, I would read through every article three or four times. And we also started just buying books. We're both very Casalt fans. That's true. And this is kind of how we met. We were on the Drunk Bible Study Facebook group because we both listened to that. And I'm a huge fan. I've been listening to it since pretty soon after they started, I think, because I was listening to Multiamory at the time as well, which is the other podcast the same people do. That's how I learned about it too. Yeah. So it's run by, what is it, Jace, Emily, and... Dedeker. I've read Dedeker's book too. I think it's fantastic. I saw them speak once. I met them in person at a conference. That's so cool. Yeah. You made a 3D printed... I didn't make it. Okay. It was a 3D picture of Dwayne The Rock Johnson with... Uh-huh. Octopus tentacles. That's right. Oh, very cool. I found it very creepy. It was made at my kid's school. The science teacher has a 3D printer and she made it. Oh, cool. Yeah. What a cool teacher. <laughs> yeah. And the reason it's amusing and the reason it was off the rock is because in Drunk Bible Study, they like to cast well-known movie actors as who's going to play them in the movie of the Bible as they read it. Yep. And the rock gets to play Yahweh. That's a nice casting I think it was yeah. <laughs> I'm actually looking up the post right now we started replying in Veruca Salt lyrics yes. you were like hang on do you do like a version of drunk bible study but for Mormons <laughs> yes oh that's funny just clicked your picture and it goes to your bio and your bio mentioned that my first comment was now Yahweh has eight arms to hold you Right. Which is the name of a Veruca Salt album. And you said only Nina and Louise can do that. That's right. Those were the two leads in Veruca Salt. <laughs> so I posted a link to their video. <laughs> yep. Then you posted some song lyrics for another song that they do, which I believe is called Benjamin, isn't it? That's right. Yes. That's why I replied with that. And then I posted, and let's see if you know where this comes from. Shed a tear because I'm missing you. I'm still all right to smile. Is it off a B-side or something? Something obscure? It's not a Veruca Salt song. Okay. Uh it's a Guns N' Roses song called Patience. Ah, uh, <laughs> I think Brother Paul, when he was doing the pod, actually sang that song for me at one point. Oh, how funny. <laughs> That's cool. Did Veruca Salt help you get out of Mormonism in some way? No. I'm sure I low-key wanted to fuck both of them. But oh, of course. <laughs> there were literally hundreds of other women in that category. Sure. Right. And I loved their songs. I saw them on their reboot tour that they did when they finally decided that they actually still loved each other. Or at least they didn't hate each other enough to turn down the money, whichever it was. I think they actually really did bury the hatchet. Oh, that's good. I think they never really stopped liking each other, but for a while there they had to split up. I don't know if you've looked at the lyrics of the reboot album about some of that time and how they got back together. But such a heart-wrenching story. I hope somebody makes a really great documentary of them someday. I love your shirt, by the way, Benjamin. People are more important than beliefs. Oh, I just got to see that. Oh, I like that. Okay, that's very good. This is from a um, church alternative that meets here in Salt Lake and a few other places. What is it called? Can I ask? It's called Oasis. Oh, like an atheist church? Oh, I haven't heard of that. It's a secular community. There's no religious 
content at all. Uh-huh. Wow. But they still meet on Sundays and have speakers and talk about various things. And oh, you're lucky to have that. Uh, honestly, I haven't been for a long time because it was still taken up my Sundays. But yeah. <laughs> it's a lovely project. Yeah. The reason I think that religion persists is that it fills a human need, which is why the slogan on the back says, keep the community, ditch the dogma. Mm. Oh, that's a great slogan. Yeah, that's wonderful. All right, Jacob 5, verse 37, we're starting from. Go and listen to the previous episode if you want to hear how this silly parable started or just don't bother because it doesn't matter. Also, if you want a different line of hilarity, we've got some bonus episodes going on Patreon and it's fucking cheap. Gonna be posting weekly. It's been tons of fun so far. At the moment, we're roasting this podcast the church put out called Saints. They put it out to promote their history book called Saints, of which the third volume hasn't even been released yet. Yeah, it's been interesting to see what they consider history. Gigi helped me with the first episode and Benjamin Gigi and Jones will be on the second episode. Jacob chapter 5 verse 37. But behold, the wild branches have grown and have overrun the roots thereof. And because that the wild branches have overcome the roots thereof, he didn't need to say that. Mm-mm. hath brought forth much evil fruit. And because that it hath brought forth so much evil fruit, thou beholdest that it beginneth to perish, and it will soon become ripened, that it may be cast into the fire, except we should do something for it to preserve it. In the last episode where we were reading this, he just keeps talking about preserving it. It's like he just keeps wanting to make jam. So this is a very long metaphor for by the fruits you shall know them, And if we don't save their souls, they'll just continue giving off bad fruit. Well, you'd think it might be as simple as that. But the thing is, he gets all confused. Because I can tell because we're already 37 paragraphs into this and I'm already trying to scroll up and down and figure out where this is going. And I'm already shaking my head. (laughs) It's a parallel to the Wheaton Tez story that Jesus told, except Smitty tells it much more complicated and then thus fucks it up. Because with all of the graftings that he's done on this poor tree that I'm still not sure whether he relocated the tree and I'm still not sure as to how many branches of the tree are original and how many are wild and why the tree didn't die with all of the Frankensteining, as Jones would put it. He's just running away with the metaphor. It's Trump-level 19th century word salad. Right. I mean, I would call it like legalese, but he's not making a legal document, you know, but he's using the same techniques that people would use to some extent if they wanted to sound official. (laughs) See, I could picture he's got whoever's scribing for him that day, and he's like, I'm going to throw in another therefore that'll fuck him up. Yeah, yeah. No, he's buying time. That's true. Well, he thinks of the next thing. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I'm feeling bad for the guy that's doing the chink, chink, chink onto the gold plates. That's right. You think about the Scrivener Uh who's writing down what the other guy is saying. Well, especially since that guy actually had to do something. Damn right. The chinking never happened. That's right. That was imaginary chinking. (laughs) (laughs) So when Joseph Smith is writing as whoever he was writing about, complaining about having to do the labor of ching, 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 it was imaginary labor that Joseph Smith was imagining this old man was complaining about while somebody else was having to write it. Like, 
<laughs> my brain is exploding on the whole. It's stories within stories within stories. It's a ship in a bottle, in a bottle, in a bottle, just like that Star Trek episode. Do you know that Star Trek episode, Benjamin? You know it, don't you? It's a next-gen episode. Vaguely, yes. Yeah, you know it. You like Star Trek, don't you? I don't know why you say that like it's supposed to be really dirty. <laughs> I mean, everybody kind of likes you it. You like it, don't you? You like it. Oh, I know you like you it. You like I it. I know you like it. No. <laughs> I like it. I like Star Trek. I'll admit it. I'm not a trucker. <laughs> I have some affection for the next generation. Oh, I really hated the seventh season of DS9. I really think they fucked that up. Mm. Yeah. You've officially gone way beyond my level of fandom. Well, I'm old school on that stuff. Yeah, I'm very strict. I like the original series too. Verse 38. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said unto his servant, let's go down into the nethermost parts of the vineyard <laughs> and behold if the natural branches have also brought forth evil fruit. Oh. Verse 39. And it came to pass that they went down into the nethermost parts of the vineyard. It's just repeating itself. And it came to pass... It has two and it came to pass in the one verse that they beheld that the fruit of the natural branches had become corrupt also. Yea, the first and the second and also the last and they had all become corrupt. Full stop. Oh, that's so boring. I'm just trying to work out what happened here now that I've read it. They went and they looked at some trees and it came to pass that the trees were shit. <laughs> that should be the title of this episode. And the wild fruit of the last had overcome that part of the tree which brought forth good fruit, even that the branch had withered away and died. Oh. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard wept and said unto the servant, What could I have done more for my vineyard? I don't know. Behold, I knew that all the fruits of the vineyard, save it were these, have become corrupted. And now these which have once brought forth good fruit have also become corrupted. And now all the trees of my vineyard are good for nothing, save it to be hewn down and cast into the fire. Ah, uh, let's burn it down. And behold this last, whose branch hath withered away. Oh, his branch had withered away. Poor branch, poor tree. I know. Such a withered branch. <laughs> Just didn't have the energy to continue. <laughs> and now he's going to point it out in the middle of the vineyard. He's like, about this one right here. What's Joseph Smith making up for, you know? Uh, it's so sad. Uh, okay, he's going to lament the loss of this branch, so. He will. I did plant in a good spot of ground, semicolon. Yeah, <laughs> even with that which was choice unto me above all other parts of the land of my vineyard. So he's like, I put it in good dirt. It's like, what the heck happened? Right. In the first part, he was like, I digged around the roots. He said that a lot. He liked to dig around the roots. He liked it. Oh. I like to dig around the roots too. Who doesn't like a good digging around the roots? It's good fun. No judgment here. Gotta air that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> and thou beheldest that I also cut down that which cumbered this spot of ground, that I might plant this tree in the stead thereof. And thou beheldest that a part thereof brought forth good fruit, and a part thereof brought forth wild fruit. And and because I plucked not the branches thereof and cast them into the fire, behold, 
they have overcome the good branch that it hath withered away. Didn't he just say all of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, what he's saying now is you got to cut off the good with the bad now because you should have cut off that long ago. Like, it's poison now. Like, it's spread. In three verses, the only new information there is we have to cut it off because... Oh, yeah, it's spreading gangrene. Ah. And now, behold, notwithstanding all the care which we have taken of my vineyard, the trees thereof have become corrupted. Jesus is the same shit. That they bring forth no good fruit. And these I had hoped to preserve, to have laid up fruit. Ah, the jam again. That's right. Thereof against the season unto mine own self, because I'm a hoarder. It doesn't say that. <laughs> yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Like my mother who likes to keep green beans from the 1970s. And it made it onto one of our episode covers. Right? Those are heirlooms. Heirloom beans. This is a family heirloom. Precious. I didn't get anything else. But behold, they have become like unto the wild olive tree, and they are of no worth but to be hewn down and cast into the fire. And it grieveth me that I should lose them. Jesus. 47. But what could I have done more in my vineyard? Didn't he just ask that? Yes. There's lots of things you can do in your own personal vineyard. Check the internet, bro. Have I slackened mine hand? I bet Smitty had a bit of a slack hand. Do you think Smitty had? Yeah, Smitty had a bit of a slack hand. Have I slackened mine hand that I have not nourished it? Nay. I have nourished it. I know you have, Smitty. And I have digged about it. Oh, God. And I have burned it. Yes, he was circumcised. And I have dunged it. I guess that means fertilized it. Yeah. Sometimes personally, yeah. <laughs> and I have stretched forth mine hand almost all the day long. Oh, I know. He just sat there all the day long just dreaming about all sorts of things. <laughs> and the end draweth nigh. And it grieveth me that I should hew down all the trees of my vineyard, what, you've got more than one, and cast them into the fire that they should be burned. Who is it that has corrupted my vineyard? Oh, Smitty, that was you. See, I have to groan because the people listening to this can't see my pained facial expression over the grammar. <laughs> if you'd like to take a photo of your pained expression, I can include it no, in the notes, No, I don't need Gigi. that to become a meme. No. No, 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 no. All right. And it came to pass that the servant said unto his master, Is it not the loftiness of thy vineyard? Have not the branches thereof overcome the roots, which are good? Yes, the roots are good. And because the branches have overcome the roots thereof, repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. Behold, they grew faster than the strength of the roots, taking strength unto themselves. Oh. Is that how plants work? Like, I don't think that makes sense to me, but go on. I don't think he understands horticulturalism at all. Behold, I say, is not this the cause that the trees of thy vineyard have become corrupted? What? From what I understand about most plants is that they get their strength from the sun, which is in the sky above them. 
<laughs> right. But I don't understand what he's saying here. I don't feel like we're going to science our way out of this. <laughs> no, that was never going to happen. <laughs> I think he's like that all of the branches grew so fast that... Even the good roots got ruined. Yeah, yeah. because they overtaxed it or something. Yeah. See, okay, I'm not exactly sure where this chapter came from, and I can't remember because it's been so long. It came from the famous Old Testament prophet, Zenos. That's right. The one that doesn't exist. Oh, good Lord. Which, little known fact, was the inspiration for Zenu in Scientology. Oh, really? No, I'm just making that up. <laughs> you should make up stuff more often because that's all Smitty did. <laughs> it's all good. It kind of blew my mind, honestly, when I realized that when I was reading it earlier today in preparation for this. And I'm like, he invented an Old Testament prophet. Because I think at some point he realized, like, this is a lot of Christian shit for people who are Jews. I know, right? I better invent a book uh -huh. where an Old Testament prophet comes up with all this stuff. Because uh -huh. these are the least Jews. Jewish 6th century BC Jews there ever were. He figured that out after he'd already spewed a whole bunch of shit about Christ and the Messiah and stuff, which they would never have said. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard said unto the servant, let us go to and hew down the trees of the vineyard and cast them into the fire. Whoosh! That they shall not cumber the ground of my vineyard, for I have done all. What could I have done more for my vineyard? I don't know. What could you have done more for it? You're telling the story. But behold, the servant said unto the Lord of the vineyard, Fuck you, God. No, spare it a little longer. Y'all go, Benjamin. Oh, Benjamin, can you do an Australian accent? Can I do an Australian accent? <laughs> really? No. All right, can you read verse 51 with an Australian accent? And the Lord said, Yay, I will spare it a little longer, for it grieveth me that I should lose the trees of my vineyard. <laughs> Very good. Sounds like pirate talk. My accent wanders. The Australian accent is only a hop, skip, and a jump away from those things like Cockney and Pirates. My 13-year-old son does a really good Australian accent because he listens to several Australian YouTubers. Oh, okay. Yes, apparently there's a couple of popular Australian YouTubers that I know nothing about, but uh, maybe I should pay yeah. more attention. They're mostly Minecraft YouTubers, I think. Oh, uh, Minecraft. Oh, Minecraft. Uh, so boring. <laughs> I was hoping I could just mostly read it like it was really dirty. Make it as lascivious as possible. I'm going to try. Wherefore, let us take of the branches. Ooh of these which I have planted in the nethermost parts of my vineyard. Oh. And let us graft them into the tree from whence they came. Oh. Oh. And let us pluck from the tree those branches whose fruit is most bitter. Oh, is it? And graft in the natural branches of the tree. Unnatural. In the stead thereof. And this I will do, that my tree may not wither or perish, that perhaps <laughs> I may preserve unto myself the roots thereof for mine own purpose. I'd stick it in some jam. <laughs> <laughs> I put a really weird visual in my head, patience. Did this go to an American pie? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> All right, Gigi, you're up. And behold, the roots of the natural branches of the tree, which I planted. Oh, what the hell is that word? What the fuck is that? Hold on. Let me put on my glasses. <laughs> Whithersoever. Whithersoever. That's not a word. That's wacky. Whithersoever I would are yet alive. Oh, he's trying to sound like an old timey person that doesn't exist. Uh-huh. Wherefore, that I may preserve them also for mine own purpose. I will take of the branches of this tree and I will graft them onto them. Ah! He's just been talking about that. What the fuck? Yea, 
I will graft in unto them the branches of their mother tree. What? That I may preserve the roots also unto mine own self, that when they shall be sufficiently strong, perhaps they may bring forth good fruit unto me, and I may yet have glory in the fruit of my vineyard. What's this mother tree? I don't know. And it came to pass that they took from the natural tree which had become wild and grafted in unto the natural trees which also had become wild. In the first half, he's taking the branches off the natural tree which somehow is not the wild tree because I feel like that's the same thing like he took them and grafted them into the nethermost parts and now he's bringing them back and putting them on the mother tree. That doesn't make sense! I'm so confused about what's being grafted onto what! And the Lord of the vineyard said unto the servant, Pluck! Not the wild branches from the trees, save it be those which are most bitter. Oh God, here we go again. And in them ye shall graft according to that which I have said. Oh my said. God. I don't think he knows what he's grafting into what now. And we will nourish again the trees of the vineyard and we will trim. <laughs> he likes to get some trim. <laughs> trim up the branches thereof and we will <laughs> pluck from the trees those branches which are ripened that must perish and cast them into the fire okay whatever okay. and this i do that perhaps the roots thereof may take strength because of their goodness and because of the change of the branches that the good may overcome the evil so the roots got evil because of the branches but then he's regrafted on some other branches onto them that hopefully that'll counteract the root. He's chopped everything up now and put it all together. They wouldn't look like olive trees anymore. It would just be a mess. See, I'm wondering if any of this logic makes more sense now that Brother Benjamin has had like at least one white claw. <laughs> No, but it, it makes it easier to ignore. Uh, they should pass out white uh, claws at seminary. This is the thing. How do people stay sober in a Mormon church? They're tired. It's early morning. They can't think. That's why. I don't know. They haven't had their coffee because they don't drink coffee. Yeah, that's it. That wasn't a problem for me where I grew up because you went to seminary during regular school hours instead of in the morning before school. That's right. In the heartland. Oh, that's horrible. It's during school, isn't it? Yeah. Was it boring as fuck, though? I skipped it a lot. Well, you're allowed to. It's not part of school. It's separate. But it's during school hours. But you'll get a bad grade. I did not graduate from seminary. Yeah, I didn't either. I didn't go to the entire last year. They were like, you can make it up. I'm like, nah. I'm good. Yeah. I spent a lot of that time just like doing other homework or whatever. I think as soon as I could drive, if I had to take anybody to seminary, I would take them to seminary and I would go somewhere and find something for breakfast. <laughs> And then sleep in the car. That's smart. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sleep like in the, uh, car. the grocery wow. store would like sell like such a wild warm rolls for like 25 cents or something cheap, ridiculous. I would just go get warm rolls, you know. How old were you when you were sleeping in your car? I mean, that you make it sound so sad. Like I was sleeping in my car on a regular basis. I was sleeping in my car on a regular basis. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Sounds> homeless. <laughs> and this idea that perhaps the roots thereof may take strength because of their goodness and because of the 
of the change of the branches that the good may overcome the evil. Yes, you just said that. Oh my God. He makes me want to scream. Take it away, Brother Benjamin. And because that I have preserved the natural branches and the roots thereof, and that I have grafted in the natural branches again into the mother tree. What the fuck? And I preserved the roots of the mother tree that perhaps the trees of my vineyard may bring forth again good fruit, and that I may have joy again in the fruit of my vineyard, and perhaps that I may rejoice exceedingly that I preserved the roots and branches of the first fruit. That was all just an introductory clause. Oh, still on the same sentence. Wherefore, go to and call servants that we may labor diligently with our might in the vineyard, that we may prepare the way, that I may bring forth again the natural fruit, which is apparently not the wild fruit, which confuses me, which natural fruit is good and most precious above all other fruit. It's such a word salad. He's not saying anything anymore. A lot of seasons have gone by because he keeps ripping out and planting and ripping out. Like that's a lot of damage for a tree. Like that takes seasons for these things to ripen and figure out if the fruit is good or bad. He's got to be like 80 years old now. He's been doing this so much. And it sounds like he's done his whole vineyard like this now because he's just chopped and changed so much shit around. That can't be good for your bottom line. I mean, what are they eating? He's been eating the 25 cent rolls from the supermarket. Wrong sleeping in his car. Wrong answer. He's been eating his children. His children is the right answer. It's always they eat the children first, right? Yeah. Well, (laughs) they're easier to catch. (laughs) Their meat is more tender. They've got to be good for something. That's right. (laughs) Wherefore, let us go to and labor with our might this last time. For behold, the end draweth nigh. God, I hope so. And this is for the last time. Do you promise? Oh, please. But I shall prune my vineyard. He's like, doesn't have any more years left in him. He's dying of starvation. Graft in the branches. Again. Begin at the last that they may be first. Oh, he's getting poetic. And that the first may be last. That doesn't even make sense. And dig about the trees, both old and young. (laughs) The first and the last and the last and the first and all may be nourished once again for the last time. Wherefore, dig about them and prune them and dung them once more (laughs) for the last time for the end draweth nigh oh god please and if it be so that these last grafts shall grow and bring forth the natural fruit then shall ye prepare the way for them that they may grow he's just been saying this over and over graft them in that they might be healthy graft them in that they might preserve and as they begin to grow ye shall clear away the branches which bring forth bitter fruit oh, according bitter to the strength fruit. of the good and the size thereof. Oh, God. The and he shall not clear away the bad. You know, if he's talking about farming, he could at least tell us what kind of fruit we're making here. It is olives. Olives? He said okay. it in the first God. part, yeah. Alright, Jesus. How would you ever know though? He just keeps calling them fruit. I know, according to the strength of the good and the size thereof. And ye shall not clear away the bad thereof all at once. 
Thus the roots thereof should be too strong for the graft, and the graft thereof shall perish, and I lose the tree of my vineyard. We get it! We get it! We get Jeez. it! We get it! This is like Less bad. this, less that, but I'm gonna try! Oh, I'm gonna try! And this was all, like, supposed to be ching ching chinked on a golden plate somewhere? Who had time for this? For it grieveth me that I should lose the trees of my vineyard. Well, why did you stop Frankensteining them in the first place, you dickhead? Wherefore, you shall clear Clear away the bad according as the good shall grow. Yes, that's what you've been saying, you know, that the root and the top may be equal in strength until the good shall overcome the bad and the bad be hewn down and cast into the fire. This is like the worst metaphor. Oh. I know. And he just keeps saying it. I think he must be drunk at this point. He doesn't know what he's saying. That they cumber not the ground of my vineyard. Yes, he's said that before. And thus will I sweep away the bad out of my vineyard. He's said that pretty much before too. And the branches of the natural tree will I graft in again into the natural tree. What, 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 what? So what, he's taken off some branches of the natural tree and then he's put them onto an unnatural tree, I guess. And then he's taken them off and he's putting them back onto a natural tree. And at this point, I couldn't tell you what a natural and unnatural tree was. It's just that the whole metaphor is so, Fucked. I feel like I need to have a safe word. <laughs> you know what the safe word is, don't you? <laughs> no, what is it's it? pineapple. It's pineapple. Please, yeah. No, I know. Okay. Oh, there's so many more pineapple stories I haven't even told. I don't oh, want I to can't know. Wait. Oh. All right. So verse 68, and the branches of the natural tree will I graft into the natural branches of the tree. He just said that in 67. And thus will I bring them together again. Oh, isn't that nice? That they shall bring forth the natural fruit and they shall be one. Oh, that's nice. You could have just left the natural tree as it was then. I mean, it's romantic. They're coming back to better one. I don't know. Basically, he's saying, I fucked up. So I'm putting the original branches back on the original tree because that's better. Pirate voice, please. Pirate voice. You mean the one I was doing before, which was not in any way intended to be a pirate voice? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and the bad show shall be cast away. Yay. Yay. Even out of all the land of my vineyard. Governor. For behold, only this once will I prune my vineyard. Only once? That's probably what the problem was to start with. Right. That's right. That's right. And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard sent his servant, <laughs> and the servant went and did as the Lord had commanded him, and brought other servants, and they were few. Oh, God. <laughs> Even though he brought other servants, they were still few. I'm trying to place this pirate because, I mean, he obviously has not had any of his legs amputated. Otherwise, I'm sure he would have a lot more R's going around. Army leg! And the lord <laughs> of the vineyard said unto them, Go to and labor in the vineyard with your might. For behold, this is the last time that I shall nourish my vineyard. <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. For the end is nigh at hand and the season speedily cometh. As sometimes I do, which is no shame. Oh, so speedily. Just a quickie. And if ye labor with your might, with me shall have joy in the fruit. Oh my goodness. Which I shall lay up unto myself. <laughs> against the time which will soon come. That's like a very dis 
disturbing, <laughs> heavily innuendo, like uh, horny pirate. Like, I'm not sure where that was I going. I love it, Benjamin. Horny pirate is <laughs> where it was going. Very well executed. <laughs> All right, do I have to do the next three? You do, but you can read it in a funny accent if you'd like. Or you could do horny pirate. Do horny wench. I, mean, I don't know if I can do a wench, but let me try uh, <laughs> my best. Oh, this is going to be bad. Are we on 72? Actually, you know what, Gigi? I've never got you to do an Australian accent. You should do that. Just think shrimp on the barbie or crikey. And it came to pass. Oh, I can only do a southern accent. <laughs> <laughs> that the servants. Uh, say servants. Servants? Servants. Servants. servants? No, that's a British accent. Servants. Go and labour with their mites. <laughs> and the Lord of the vineyards laboured also <laughs> with them. <laughs> and they did obey the commandments of the Lord of the vineyard in all things. No, I can maybe try a sexy voice. Oh, yeah, go sexy yeah. for 73, do it. And there began to be the... No, I can't even do that. <laughs> she just gets quieter. <laughs> and there began to be the natural fruit again in the vineyard. And the natural branches began to grow and thrive exceedingly. And the wild branches began to be plucked off oh. and to be cast away. Oh. And they did keep the root and the top thereof equal oh. according to the strength thereof. I only do Disney Princess Bride. Oh, Disney Princess Bride. Do that for verse 74. And thus they labored with all diligence <laughs> according to the commandments of the Lord of the vineyard, even until the ban had been cast away out of the vineyard. And the Lord had preserved unto himself that the trees had become again the natural fruit. And they became like unto one body. <laughs> and the fruits were equal. And the Lord of the vineyard had preserved unto himself the natural fruit, which was most precious unto him from the beginning. And thanks for listening, boys and girls. God. See, this is why I flunked out of acting. All right, it's up to me again. Oh, thank God. You do an Australian accent. Do a just flat American accent. Uh, a North American accent's really difficult. A Southern is always easy. Uh, you can do it. I don't know. Oh, shit. <laughs> See, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> I'll try American, American, American. And it came to pass that when the Lord of the vineyard saw that his fruit was good and that his vineyard was no more corrupt, he called up his servants and said unto them, Behold, for this last time, have we nourished my vineyard, and thou beholdest, oh God, this is so difficult, that I have done according to my will, and I have preserved the natural fruit, that it is good, even like as it was in the beginning, and blessed art, oh, art is blessed, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> and blessed art thou, for because ye have been diligent in labouring with me in my vineyard, and have kept my commandments, and have brought unto me again the natural fruit. I don't know what I'm sounding like. You're starting to sound like a valley girl. I'm really digging it because, like, that's an accent I can do. Like, I can do a Southern California vocal fry like nobody's business. I might have to get you to read the last verse like that. Kept my commandments. 
commandments and have brought unto me again the natural fruit that my vineyard is no more corrupted. Yeah. And the bat is cast away. Behold, ye shall have joy with me because of the fruit of my vineyard. It's just better than yours, okay? It brings all the boys to the yard. All the boys to the yard. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see if I can do a Southern California Valley Girl accent with like the dreaded vocal fry. Guy fart. For behold, for a long time will I lay up for the fruit of my vineyard. Unto mine own self against the season. Season. <laughs> That's the vocal fry there. Which speedily cometh. Oh, it's speedily coming again. What the fuck? Come on, just pace yourself. Speedily cometh. And for the last time have I nourished my vineyard and pruned it and dug about it and dunged it. Uh, <laughs> is this German porn? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Wherefore, I will lay up mine own self of the fruits for a long time. Uh, a long time. According to that which I have spoken. <laughs> Can I keep going with that? Because I kind of like this accent. I liked it. Yeah, go for it. You just have to do everything with a question at the end. Kind of like, and when the time cometh that the evil fruit shall again come into my vineyard, (laughs) then will I cause the good and the bad to be gathered. And the good will I preserve unto myself. And the bad I will cast away into its own place. Get out of my face. And then I will cast away into its own place. <laughs> and then cometh the season and the end, and my vineyard will I cause to be burned with fire. Oh my <laughs> wait, God. wait, do you want that? And then he burns it with fire again? I so hope that's Jeez. the end of the parable. That is, that's it, that's it. I don't want to keep reading this next week, okay? Oh my God, I hope that's it. It's done. Although we get more Xenos. He's finally come and he's done. And he's a one-hit wonder, so hopefully we'll have reprieve for a while and my vineyard will i cause to be burned with fire like i do want to question the end of that with a question mark we went through all that mm-hmm. and then he still ends up burning it with fire i mean how branson were these olives man like that's like second coming book of revelation end of the world shit of course smitty never has a second coming he, he doesn't have that kind of refractory period Maybe his saints will. I mean, he had so many wives, I wonder. (laughs) They've done these experiments. I don't remember what the animal was, but I'm going to say it was a camel for shits and giggles. Because they hump a lot. Well, right, exactly. (laughs) If you give like a male camel access to like one female camel in heat, do her once or twice. You give him access to seven camels in heat, it hit them all in one day. So that's the secret of the short refractory period. You just got to have a lot of sex. Well, you just got to cycle in new people. So you got to have a lot of hookup calls in your phone that you can cycle between. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And then you can just go like 10 times a day. But mm-hmm. you mightn't get a lot of work done and that might be unfulfilling in its own right. And I feel like eventually the chafing would catch up to you. That's right. I mean, that sounds like a full-time job. It does. I mean, if you're getting paid though, hey. I think I'd be bored. But for those people that are into it, you go for it. Well, Joseph Smith was obviously. <laughs> he was into and it. And so was Brigham Young. Like it, it, mm-hmm. so many of them. I mean, I'm just surprised they gave it up so easy. I mean, they didn't really have to join the United States of America. America. They could have formed their own union. 
Continue going. They didn't really quit for a while after they quit. I know. But oh, I know. Didn't they? Kind of notice about this chapter, about the Lord of the Vineyard. There's a couple of times, I think one in the first half and one in the second half, where he's just basically like, fuck it, let's burn it all down. And his servant's like, well, maybe let's not. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets to the end, he's like, you followed my commandments. No, you listened to the servant who told you not to burn everything down. Right. And now you're keeping all the fruit for mine own self. <laughs> Right? I just think, you know, he's kind of like a bad boss. Mm-hmm. That was a great idea that I just had yeah. that you said out loud. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I should be shocked about that, oh, but you know. Yeah, that's right. I don't ever recall having to read this in church. I think I've blocked it out or I just never had to read it or I didn't study it. And because I didn't go to mission, like I would flip through this stuff and be like, I mean, come on. Well, it doesn't say anything. It- no, and that's the thing. It was bad writing. I read the whole thing probably five times. Really? Wow. And did you ever understand it? Like really, really, truly understand it? There were large sections I was just zoning out. Like we haven't gotten to it yet, but there's whole chapters on just nonsensical, shitty battle strategies. And like some seminary teacher has to explain why that's in the Book of Mormon. And I read the whole Bible once just to say I'd done it. Really? And what did you think about the content of the Bible versus the Book of Mormon? When I was still religious and I'm an atheist, now, but started to feel a lot more affinity with the Bible, especially the New Testament. It seemed so much more real and poetic and better written than the Book of Mormon did. It really is better written, probably just because they've had more time to refine it, but yeah. The main difference between like Mormonism and old school Christianity isn't that it's dumber or it makes less sense. It's just we have so many more primary sources for Joseph Smith. <laughs> That's right. Like if this was 2000 years old, rocks in the hat, that would have gotten lost in the second edit. That would never have made it into the Bible. Like it's not that it's dumber, it's just newer. Uh-huh. We have more primary sources for the dumbness. This is my theory on it anyway. Yeah. That's an interesting theory. I've never thought of it like that, but you're right. Because we know that the sources we've got for the Bible were mostly written down a lot later than what the actual narrative was supposed to have happened. Almost all the prophecies in the Old Testament were written down after the things they were prophesying about happened. That's why I think none of it happened. (laughs) All the Gospels were written decades after Jesus died. Uh Stand-up comic, when they first get on the stage, is going to just tell all the jokes and then only they're going to like write down the good ones and those are the ones they're going to tell next time, right? They lose the bad ones. They keep the good one. So the oral tradition of Jesus Christ was perfected and perfected. When people didn't buy that he went to like just a wedding, well, now let's say that he like turned the water into wine. Uh, Sex it up a bit. And he didn't just go and talk on a mount. He made sure everybody had enough to eat. Right, yeah. Because nobody died starving. Come on. Put a miracle in there. We can massage the axe a little bit. Yeah. Lazarus kind of survived an extra day while he was there and like lived. Sure he lived. But for how long? Who knows? Like, don't put that part in. Just say. They just weekended Bernie'd him and just carried him around for half a day. And <laughs> Joseph Smith didn't have that winnowing process. Like, he's just reading it. And then they published his damn first draft. <laughs> Straight off his top of his day. You know, ridiculous. Well, I'd like to thank you both for helping me get through that horse shit that we read today. Good luck editing. Not only was it long, it was boring as fuck. But the good news is the final chapters of Jacob are actually quite short. Yay! (laughs) Looking forward to seeing you both again soon. All right. Have a good night.